few weeks ago, I mentioned in our Sunday evening lessons that over the next few weeks, we would be studying lessons on Sunday evening that relate to moral issues. Several of these issues I have been questioned about. Would you preach on this? Would you preach on that? And so we're going to address some of them. And tonight's lesson is going to be on gambling. Don't you bet on it. So tonight, what I want to begin with is pointing out that Christians are challenged in so many areas to make moral choices. Each of us, when we go out in our everyday lives, are forced to make decisions. And some of these decisions will be those that our neighbors and our friends may say, well, that's okay, that's all right. But society is confused and has been confused throughout the ages. Isaiah summarized that in Isaiah 5 and verse 20. He said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You see, the world today will call things that you and I know God says we must do. They'll say, that's wrong. That's evil. They'll call us bigots. And then on the other hand, there are things that God calls evil that this world says is good. And I would suggest to you that gambling has become something that the world says is good for us. It is only by following God's word that we can have clear answers to these moral choices. And you know, David said in Psalm 119, verse 104, Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. David said that's the way I understand the difference between right and wrong. And Paul would write the Ephesians in Ephesians 5 and verse 17, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So this evening, we're going to look at three things with regards to gambling. The first one is gambling understood. What is it? You know, it involves several things. Number two, we're going to look at gambling unmasked. That is, we'll take back the facade, the mask that is worn by those who advocate gambling and see what it really involves. And then number three, to look at it as being unscriptural. That is, it is contrary to the Word of God. Let's begin, first of all, by understood. The dictionary defines gambling as, and this is from the Oxford American Dictionary, to play games of chance for money, to bet. Or if you're looking at the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, to play a game for money or property. You see, gambling involves the wagering so that you can get something, primarily money or property. The bottom line is, it's all about the money. As you go a little bit further, you find out that gambling can take many forms. When you think about gambling, I tend to think about the casinos that are located in Las Vegas, Atlantic City, Kinnica, Mississippi, and other places such as that. There they have roulette wheels, they have blackjack, they have dice, 
They have slot machines and a number of other gambling devices which people will go in and they will play their games, they will wager their money, and then they hope to take money away from that. In addition to that, you have lotteries. Practically all the states, with the exception of two, now have some form of a state lottery. And people will go in and buy various tickets, and depending upon which game they play, they will invest an amount of money, and I shouldn't use the word invest, they will pay an amount of money in hopes of being able to win others. Something that is not as uh, popular in this area as it once was, but in the state of Alabama where I come from, they recently allowed bingo gambling, where people will go and they will play bingo at these large various facilities, and then they will win money for playing bingo. Raffles. That is where a person buys a chance, for instance, to win something. And I've seen those happen. They're supposed to be illegal, but people still be, continue to use them in various places. And then when you think about gambling, you also may think about paramutual gambling. That's horse races or dog races, where people will bet that a certain animal will come in first or maybe second. And then those who wager their money, those who are in the top one, two, or three, will then be paid back with regards to the ones they bet on. Now I think it's important to unmask this gambling. And statistics do not lie. When it comes to gambling, and I want to be very precise and very careful here, gambling is for fools. And that is so clear and so plain to anybody who will look at the evidence. This past week, I brought up the website TennesseeLottery.com. That is the one that is operated by the state of Tennessee. If you will look down that sheet, it will tell you what the odds of winning. You come back down to the Tennessee Lottery Powerball Prize, and it shows your odds of winning are one in 175,233,510. I don't know if that impresses you or not. 175 million plus is just an awful lot. Some of their lower payout prizes, at the very best, offer you an odds of 1 in 1,000. From 1974 to 1994, the amount that Americans wagered legally grew from 17 billion to 482 billion. Now I don't know if that impresses you or not, but almost a half a trillion dollars was wagered legally. That doesn't even count all the ones that were wagered in office pools where people will bet on the Super Bowl or some other ball game. Something that you might find interesting is one-third of all lottery winners go bankrupt. They want you to believe that, oh, if I could only win the lottery and I were to get $25 million, that I would never have to worry about anything the rest of my life. But the truth is, one-third of those people 
have never learned to manage their money, and because of that, they spend more than they win, and they go bankrupt. Those with gambling addictions account for 5% of all the players. That's the people who just can't stop. They've got an addiction to it, but they account for 25% of all the profits to casinos and state lotteries. What our state does, just like what the casinos do, is to entice people to hold something out in front of them that they cannot, after they begin to participate in it, turn away from it. They're just like handing out drugs to drug addicts. There was a survey done in 1997 of 12,000 sixth graders to 12th graders in Louisiana. And they found out that 86% of these children had gambled. You'd say, oh, but there's laws against that. It's just like there's laws against selling alcohol to minors. There's laws against selling tobacco to minors. And people do it every day. Why do they do it? Because they're enticing a new generation of gamblers and alcoholics and other things such as that. In the studies, New York and those living in the most impoverished neighborhoods and areas of that state spent eight times more of their income on lottery tickets than the more affluent areas. What that is telling us is the statistics say that the people who are playing the lotteries are people who have no money to spend. They have no money to lose. When you look at their statistics, and this chart came from the Gaming Institute, it shows here from, three, from 2008 to this year, the estimate would be, again, that there would be about $450 billion wagered. If you break it down into to what that is spent on, the betting is about 12.5%, that which is, occurs for instance, of bookies and things such as that. 27% is to casinos. 6.4% to Indian gamings. 22% to gaming machines like your slot machines. And then 28%, the largest segment, is to state lotteries. And then a 2.7% to others. Now proponents of gambling try to cloud the issue. You see, they want you to put the mask back on and they don't want you to see the ugly side of gambling. And so what they'll do, they'll say, let us show you the good in it. They will say, it's just about having fun. You know, people go and they enjoy their entertainment doing this and they say it's just another form of entertainment, another form of fun. Okay, if you go to the blackjack table and you play and you lose, why don't they give you money back? It's just for fun. You say they're not going to do that. But they tell you it's just for fun. Or they will tell you it's about helping the poor. The advertisements that are run here in the state of Tennessee for our lottery, oh, have fun. And while you're having fun, let's help the poor kids who can't afford to go to college. Let's give them a scholarship. Well, if it's all about helping the poor, why not just save paying those exorbitant salaries to those lottery personnel, and let's just give the money directly to those poor people who really needed to send their kids to school. 
It's not about just having fun. It's not about helping the poor. The bottom line is, just like I said with regards to the definition, it's about the money. The long, the short of it. When you pull back the mask, the people who own the casinos, the people who are operating the state lotteries, they're doing it to make money. Now, after having said that, I think it's important to step back and say, what does God's Word say on this? Does it deal with the subject? Does it deal with the principles that are involved? Most certainly it does. And at the base of it, if it's all about the money, it's about greed. You know, the Bible has a word for greed. It's called covetousness. And the Bible's very clear about that. Let's go to some of the passages of Scripture. If you go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Paul tells Timothy, But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and snare, and many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You see, people who love money are greedy. When a person goes and they say, give me that $5 ticket, give me that $10 ticket, because I want to win a million dollars, they're greedy. Greedy to the point that they're willing to take that money that has been taken from poor people all across the state. That they gave up food money, gas money. They don't have a problem with taking that. Listen to Proverbs 28, verses 20 and 22. Solomon says, A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. A man who's too big of a hurry, you say, well, how do you get wealth then? You work for it. You go out and you are a faithful man who derives blessings from your work. But a man who hastens to be rich, he says, will not go unpunished. Look at verse 22. A man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. That's exactly what life tells us does happen. Is those people who are pursuing, hastening to riches are going to be poor. In Luke 12 and verse 15, there was a young man who wanted the portion of his father's inheritance. And he wanted his brother to divide it with him. And Jesus said in verse 15, And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. You see, society is telling us that if you have more, you're worth more. We talk about a person's worth. How many houses does he own? How many cars does he own? How much money is in his bank account? Does he wear the designer clothes or she wear the designer clothes? Where do they shop? 
All these things, we think, make us who we are. And if I only had the money to be able to do this, I've got to win this or win that. No. Jesus said, a man's life does not consist in that. In fact, if you listen to our Lord, people who have worked hard and maybe have not made anything great as far as financial things are considered blessed by him. Lazarus died with nothing, but is pictured as being in Abraham's bosom. The church at Philippi is described as being the churches of Macedonia in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, and he says their abundant or their deep poverty abounded to the riches of their liberality. They were poor people, but they were great givers. You see, the truth is, your life is not measured in God's sight by what you have or by who you are. In Proverbs 15, verse 27, Solomon said, He who is greedy gains troubles, for gain troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes lives. Troubles his own house. I think it's so sad that you see people who are addicted to gambling end up causing their family to suffer the consequences of what they're doing. And then Hebrews 13, 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The second thing that makes gambling unscriptural, makes it wrong, is because it is poor stewardship. Sometimes we don't recognize the fact that everything that is in our possession doesn't really belong to us. It's not ours. We say, well, this is my car, this is my house, and my money. The truth is, it all belongs to God, and we only have use of it for a short period of time. And God expects us, whatever he has given us, to use it properly for his good. Listen to Luke 16, 1 and 2. He also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. An accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Here's a man accused of doing what? Wasting his master's goods. What do you think God thinks when he looks down from heaven and sees his children spending money on gambling? How many of you would keep your money in a bank? who use the deposits to gamble. And they say, oh, now, if, we'll, if we've got $100 million in our bank, we can buy 100 million lottery tickets. You think that would be a good idea? Obviously you don't. You say, I'm going to get my money out of that bank immediately. Of course, they can't do that. But the truth is, that's poor stewardship. How would you like someone 
that if you went on a journey and you left them your money and you said, now take care of this when I get back and you come back and you say, they tell you, oh, I, take, I took all your money and I, I spent it on the lottery and I didn't get nothing from it. You didn't get nothing from it? No. Why not? Well, I wasn't one of the 175,233,522. Gambling exploits the poor. Now, if nothing else registers with your mind, this really ought to sink in. Listen to Proverbs 22:16. He who oppresses the poor to increase his riches... And he who gives to the riches, a rich, will surely come to poverty. Now here's a man who looks and he sees the poor out and he says, Hey, I tell you what, I don't have any problem taking their money. God says, I don't like that. In Isaiah 3, verses 14 and 15, The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders of his people and his princes, for you have eaten up the vineyard. The plunder of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding their faces of the poor, says the Lord of hosts. You look at these people, they're suffering. Who did that to them? Those of us who live in Tennessee ought to really be ashamed that we have a state lottery that does take advantage of the poor. I'm ashamed of it. I'm disappointed. That people would do that. Amos chapter 5 verses 11 and 12 says, Therefore because you tread down the poor and take grain taxes from him, though you have built houses of hewn stone, yet you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink the wine from them. For I know the, your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins afflicting the just taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. There are so many passages which emphasize mistreating poor people, and gambling is just one of them. In Zechariah chapter 7, in verse 10, we read, Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the alien, or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. The next reason why it is unscriptural is because of its associates. Now, if I were to ask you, what, with what do you associate gambling? I would say most of us would think about organized crime. Many of you may or may not know that the cities of Las Vegas and Atlantic City were notorious for organized crime because there's a lot of money to be taken there. Brother Josh read to us just a few moments ago from Matthew chapter 7. I want to back up a couple of verses. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into, their fire, thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Would you put gambling on the side 
of things that are wholesome and good and loving and helpful? No, you wouldn't. That's the reason why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. You put something bad with some intended good, and what are you going to have? You're always going to come out with something bad from it. Next, gambling is addictive and enslaving. You say, oh, it's not really that. Well, statistics will tell you you're wrong. And when I go to the Bible, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus said, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is the Aramaic word for money. You can't serve God and money. People don't realize that there are people today who are living for things. In 2 Peter 2.19, While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also is he brought into bondage. Now somebody says, well, but you've got to know in the Bible they cast lots. Don't you know that people who invest into a business and even farmers, that's all gambling? No, it's not. The casting of lots was a means of random determination. It wasn't about the money. Choosing who would take the place of Judas by the casting of lots was a method of random determination. When a person chooses to invest in a business, there is work involved and then there is the results, the profit from the labors. As a farmer sows his seed and works that seed, he also is working for what he has. He's not gambling. Gambling has become a plague on our society and no Christian should participate in it. No Christian should participate in it. One thing that one should never gamble with is his soul. Matthew 11, verse 26, What would a man give in exchange for his soul? I'd hate to be in a situation in life where I was gambling with whether or not I would go to heaven. I was wagering that maybe I can get away with it today. Maybe I can get away with it tomorrow. No, you don't gamble with your soul. You make your salvation sure and steadfast. If you're not a Christian tonight, if you've not yet been baptized for the remission of your sins, you're just really rolling that roulette wheel and saying, I hope that I have plenty of time to take care of it in the future. I would not risk another day, 
I wouldn't risk another service. If you know you need to respond, you need to, you need to come forward tonight. Let us baptize you in water for the remission of your sins. Maybe that you're a Christian and you've been looking at your life and saying, you know, really, I'm not living like I should. I know things are not right in my life. And uh, I, I think I'll take care of it later. Do you realize the risk that you are running? You may never have that opportunity again. If you seriously need to respond to the invitation, please come while we stand and sing.